Yo, 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 I am your host, Rebecca, with First Steps to Sanity, and I will be here each week to give you the foundations, strategies, and witchy ways to help you gain confidence, manage your anxiety, and break the stigma by opening the conversation of mental health. So let's dive right into this week's episode. All right, so today we have Kelly with Powers Coaching and Consulting. Kelly Powers is a divorce coach living in San Antonio, Texas, and she was working as a nurse anesthesiologist. Oh, God, I can never say that. <laughs> that you know, honestly, my, my mom can't say it either. <laughs> so I've been doing this for 10 years, and my, my, my five-year-old can say it, but my mom cannot say it. So Me and your mom I, are on I, the same team. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll get it. It's a ner- I'm a nurse anesthetist anesthetist all right so raising two toddlers and she went through her divorce (laughs) three years ago her experience inspired her to create her own business supporting and guiding men and women through and beyond the divorce process when becca can actually pronounce it right (laughs) all good it's a tongue twister what i do now actually is much easier to say so oh yeah right divorce coach (laughs) (laughs) woohoo I needed you a couple of years ago when my mom got her divorce. Like, you would have been so nice. I didn't even know divorce coaches were, like, a thing. How did you decide to do that? Yeah, I didn't either. So, um, you know, I went through my divorce process. I turned 40 the summer after I divorced and, you know, found myself in middle age and just really feeling like I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't, I didn't know who I was not in my marriage. Um, you know, I was, I was working full time. Um, I was raising my two kids. I was, I was the sole earner. So I had the financial pressures too. And I was just very much like go to work, come home, take care of kids, go to bed, rinse and repeat. So once my marriage ended, I really, I started seeing it as an opportunity to really tap into well, what do I want to do now? And like, who am I? And what, I mean, I don't even know what food I like anymore. Like, I don't, I don't know anything about me. So, um, you know, so I started registering for workshops. I started reading a lot. I started listening to podcasts. I started really kind of trying to inspire myself to go inward and do some inner work. And in doing that, I became really interested in life coaching. And I thought, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I can do that. I, you know, I I have just gone through this process myself. I would love to help other people, but I don't really know how I can do that. And so just kind of after some hemming and hawing, I have a coach myself, you know, I thought, you know, something that I really could have used in the experience of divorcing was a coach, a coach who had not only been through the process herself, but had come out on the other side of it and was thriving and successful and positive and, you know, had made it through and not just survived it, but thrived through it. And so I thought, wow, I wonder if, I wonder if that's a thing. Like, I wonder if I can do that. And so, and it turns out that it actually is. So there are not many of us. Um, I don't, there aren't any of them in my area currently. So um, we're, I guess, a little bit of, you know, we're unicorns maybe, but um, (laughs) anyway. um, So yeah, I mean, basically through my process of self-discovery, I have become inspired to support people who are going through what what I went through not that long ago. And also, you know, a lot of my clients are co-parenting or single parenting which is um, something that I do every day. So um, yeah, it's been really, really inspiring work. And I, I, every client I work with, I learn something from. So it's, it's, not just, it's not just a giving process. It's also, I mean, I receive gifts from, from working with people, so. I love that. Like I always joke around and say that like, I became the coach that I needed but I haven't met anybody else that did that. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm weird. And then you're like, I became the coach I needed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, I mean, for me, that's, that's become my mission. And when I, when I work with clients, I actually had a client the other day tell me, um, I would love so much 
to be on the other side of this and do what you do. Like I would love so much to be able to help people like you help people. And I told her, I said, well, you, you are because you have made this really brave choice to leave your marriage. That's not working for you to raise your daughter on your own. You know, you, you've come to a point where you put yourself in a place where you know what you want and what you don't want. And you're modeling that behavior for other people. And, you know, for me, it, it's been a series of, you know, I kind of, I kind of look at it like, like we're all like we're dangling off a cliff, right? Or we're on a mountainside and we're all linking arms, right? There's always someone who's right about to be where you are in the chain, right? And so you're always a part of that process. People are watching you and they're learning from you. And as you grow, then you're helping people who are growing right behind you. So, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I didn't just appear here. Like I wasn't, it wasn't long ago that I was exactly where you are. So it doesn't just happen overnight. I'm still constantly learning and growing and, and my, my clients are still constantly learning and growing too. That's freaking awesome. I love that. So what was your process to start helping individuals handle divorce? So when I'm, when I'm first meeting with a client, the first step of my process is really to get an assessment of where they are in terms of where are you in the divorce process? Um, are you still living with your soon to be ex-spouse? Do you have children? These sorts of things. What are your finances looking like? What, what are some of the things? Because oftentimes when clients come to me, they are still in the process of deciding if they even want to end their marriage or not. So sometimes it's a matter of looking at those things. Um, from, from a feelings perspective, uh, a lot of times when I receive clients in the very beginning of the divorce process, there are a lot of charged emotions. You know, there's, there's anger, there's guilt, there's shame, there's, there's overwhelming grief and it clouds everything. And so either, either they're, they're oftentimes in a position where they're stuck and they can't, you know, they can't move beyond beyond their grief, for example. And then other times when they're just like, let's get this done. Let's just, I just, I just want to get this done. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to feel about it. I just want to do it. And so, you know, in both of those situations, I, we sit down and we talk about, wait, 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 like, let's talk about what's going on for you. Let's talk about what it is about the situation that is either holding you back or making you want to expedite this and not look at your own stuff. Because ultimately, you know, the choices that we make and the way that we handle life transitions like divorce is based on how, how we feel, how we feel about ourselves. And then as part of that process, our, our mindset, right? What we tell ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and what that means and what value judgments we place on ourselves because of these external circumstances that we may or may not be able to control. So really what we look at primarily, especially in the beginning is what's going on, what's going on deep. Like what's the deep work that you and I need to do? Because once we start doing that work, then, then you can start trying to make these other decisions, right? So the first step is working through the feelings. And of course, you know, it's not, it's not we go step one and then step two and then step three and then step four. Sometimes we have to go back to step one. Happens a lot. Um, we go into action mode after that because, well, into preparation mode, really. So that would be the second step is just to help them then start preparing. What, who do you need on your team? Is it possible that you're, you and your spouse may be amenable to mediating instead of going through, you know, lawyers and, kind of a prolonged, uh, potentially prolonged, potentially more costly process? Or can you guys sit down and actually agree on, you know, your parenting plan and splitting up assets and things like that? Um, is, do you have children? Do they, could they perhaps benefit from some counseling? Um, all of those sorts of like 
preparatory things. Let's get your team in place so that you have all of the people and the tools that you need. And then it's action time. It's time to hire those people. It's time to, you know, get all of the documents that you need for the process. And I kind of help organize and walk people through what that looks like for them. Um, because I mean, if you haven't been through the process before, or you don't know anybody who's been through the process before, I mean, a lot of times you don't know. I, and, and, you know, state laws vary too in terms of how divorce works. So familiarizing yourself with what, what that means and what that looks like. And then, you know, finally, once we've got all of those things in place, sometimes it's a waiting game. You know, the, 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 what do they say? It's something like the, oh, it's like the, the hand of justice or like moves, or the, like the power of justice moves slowly or something. I'm getting it totally wrong. But um, anyway, it takes, sometimes it can take a really long time, even like after you've gotten everything in place and you're like, this is what I want, let's do it. And then it just kind of sits, you know. Um, so we use that time a lot of the time to then start talking about like, okay, so what's the plan? Are you selling your house? Are you, you know, are you getting a new job? Are you going to relocate closer to friends and family? What is your new life going to look like? And let's get you excited about that. Because, you know, oftentimes I find that when women start, you know, building support through friendships and family, when they start, um, you know, working on their self-care, their spirituality, their, their careers oftentimes, because sometimes, you know, they've been working in the home and they haven't necessarily been working out in the workplace. But I find that once they start getting excited about their lives, then, then they're on that fast track. Then they're on a fast track to healing. And then they become really interested and excited in what's next versus like dreading, like what, like what is going to happen to me? It's more like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, I've got this. Like, I'm good. I know what I want. I know what I want to go for, you know? And so that's the, I mean, I love that part. I love that piece of the puzzle. Once we kind of get them past feeling trapped, getting into that place where they feel like, yeah, I can do this and, and my life is going to be good. It's not just going to be like, okay, it's going to be great. It's freaking awesome. I love that. That's my favorite part too. When they like really start going, it's like the little quick wins. And then all of a sudden they're like, holy shit, I can do this. And you're like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's what, that's what I try to tell them too. As they say, you know, this, it, change doesn't happen like that. Right. It's like, it's like the consistency. It's the one day after the other, after the other, after the other. And before you know it, right. You've had these wins. And then those wins breed other wins. And it's got this really awesome snowball effect. You know, um, I love that too. I love it once that spark is there. And, you know, just, it's so empowering. Hell yeah, man. So you mentioned that sometimes they don't, um, they haven't even told their spouse yet that they're looking to get a divorce, that they're still figuring it out. Do you help them kind of figure out a plan to communicate with their soon-to-be ex about how they want to proceed? Yes. Um, yes. I'm, I'm smiling because I'm thinking that, um, you know, what I, what I like to tell people, I, it's, it's really unpopular at parties to say that you're a divorce coach coach, right? Like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, what do you do? I'm a divorce coach. End of conversation, right? <laughs> they're like, no, I don't want to talk. There's a, they're like, we don't want you to meet my wife. Okay, awesome. See you later. Um, but um, so there's this perception, right, that I am, I, I am not a proponent of divorce. Like, I, I, I believe in marriage. I believe marriage works well for people with whom they have a nice, healthy relationship with their spouse and they're working on their marriage all those sorts of things. So I always like to put that caveat out there. What I do when clients come to me and they're trying to decide is I try to support. And once they've come to a decision, whether it's to stay in their marriage and work on it, or whether it is to, to end the marriage and divorce, or a lot of the time, um, you know, it's, it's the other spouse filing too. So sometimes they don't even have a choice. They might not want their marriage to end, but they, you know, they, they don't have a choice in that. So, um, what I try to do is talk to them about what's behind their decision-making, you know, so that they're clear, so that they're clear and, and they feel, nobody feels great about ending a marriage, but they feel secure in their decision. 
Um, and then my role is to encourage and to, and to give them permission to have the feelings that they have and give them permission to take the action that they want to take. Um, because that is something that I really felt that I did not have in my process. I felt that I was um, judged. I felt that I was, now I think a lot of that was coming from me, you know, in hindsight. But um, I also felt like I really could have used someone in my life to say, if this is what you want, then do it. Like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be hard. You're gonna go through some tough times. Change is really, really difficult, but it's okay. It's okay to wanna to do this. It's okay to say, I'm done and to start something else. Like life transitions are okay. Um, and so, and so that's kind of, that's kind of where, where I am with that. And then we talk about broaching the subject with their spouse. And, you know, in the process of doing that, I really, I, 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 we try to get to the point with, I try to get to the point with my client where, again, those feelings are no longer charged toward their ex-spouse, where they've accepted their part in the marriage. They've accepted that they have no control over external circumstances or other people. And so that, so that they can approach their spouse in a very clean, you know, way. And when I say clean way, I mean, you know, not with anger, not with blame, you know, um, you know, you know, none of that drama so that they can come to their partner and say, look, you know, we've had X amount of time together. I no longer wish to be in this union with you. I, I feel that our union is no longer aligned. How, how can we go about this? in the most respectful and loving way. Because, I mean, depending on the circumstance, oftentimes there's still love and care in the situation, you know? Um, oftentimes there are children in the situation. And so, I mean, there's, there's a level of love that is still there because this is, the, this is the parent, the other parent of your children, right? And so, if it can at least come from one party that way, um, I think I think oftentimes it at least it at least opens up the path for that level of communication versus blurting it out in an argument or you know a disagreement. I said I'm done. This marriage is over. You know, um, and then you know, and then kind of having to pick up the pieces from there. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is, like, although you are getting ready to separate from divorce from your spouse, you're still going to have to deal with them during this process. I mean, there, I mean, there, there will be, there, there might be, you know, lawyers involved and lawyers communicating back and forth. But, you know, I, I, I really try to encourage my clients to do, to, to go through the process with grace. Because, because then I know that they're going to feel good about it under the circumstances, right? Then I know that they're not gonna be carrying anything around, you know, wow, like I, I really lost control there, or not that that won't happen. Not that that won't happen in the process down the line. Because, you know, no matter how amicable it is in the beginning, there are just, there are so many things. It's, it's just hard, you know, separating from someone you've spent years of your life with and built a life with and shared children with and pets and a house and, you know, all of these things. Like once it starts to be, oh my God, no, you're not taking the dog. I'm taking the dog. Like once, once it starts, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just the little things too. Um, you're doing really, 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 really good. But then it's those, those little, those little reminders that things are changing and maybe not in ways that feel good and maybe not in ways that are that we anticipated and maybe in ways that make us feel you know out of control too so um so you know we, we we try to talk about these things i try not to set up expectations for my clients about what may or may not be ahead for them 
I try to instead allow a safe space for them to share with me when these things come up for them. And then we talk about them because, you know, I, I, I am of the belief that the more you dread something, the more you ex, you know, have negative expectations of the way something might turn out for you, you just, you end up manifesting those things. So, you know, we really work on tackling things as they come, seeing things the way they are, not, not getting too buried in story around the situation. Yeah. I like that. You'll manifest it if you, uh, I always tell myself that whenever I get stressed out, I'm like, chill, you're going to manifest some funky energy, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think oftentimes when we, when we get ourselves into that mindset or that headspace, then it's like, it, it just, it just tends to happen that way where, you know, the things that we're afraid of start to start to actually happen or, you know, we kind of feed into this mindset around something and then, you know, it just makes us angrier and angrier or just makes us more and more upset. And, um, you know, so I, I really, I'm just a big proponent with, with clients in general that you, you know, you are here. You are the person that you are the soul that is inside of you. And you have no, the, the idea of control, I think we're just, we're, as human beings, we're just so attached to this idea of like, you know, I was, you know, stuck in traffic and now I'm late to my meeting. I'm a failure, right? Like, wait, like, how do you think that you have any control over the fact that you were stuck in traffic for 30 minutes and you're late for your meeting? You know, like when things around us aren't exactly the way that we would like them, you know, the, the, the ideal concept, right, is that, like, we are still okay. Like, we are still tapped in to the only thing that we have any conscious control over, and that is what we tell ourselves about what's going on around us, right? So, um, so I do a lot of work with, with people around letting go of this idea that that they are in control of anyone other than themselves. Right. It's very true. Yeah. I, uh, so this is kind of something that I just thought of and I was curious about. What do you feel is like one of the top reasons that people come to you wanting a divorce with their spouse? So uh, infidelity is pretty high on the list. Um, infidelity from one or both parties or, you know, feeling, feeling the desire to be unfaithful, um, is pretty high on that list. I have to say too, um, issues like substance abuse. Um, you know, I, if I, if I do have clients that have issues or have had issues with domestic violence, I refer them to, to a specialist. I, I, you know, I'm not equipped to really deal with that in, you know, with that kind of trauma. Um, I can do, I can do what I, the work that I do, but I always recommend that if anybody's having issues with that, that they also see a therapist for that, um, or another, or a counselor that specializes in substance abuse. Um, but that is a big one. Sometimes too, you know, with women particularly, you know, their, their kids, they raise their kids. Um, and we're seeing statistically in the United States, a real increase in what they call gray divorce. I'm not, not a huge fan of that term because I mean, I will, I will never be gray. Um, but I, uh, you have amazing yeah. hair too. I'm not going to lie. I love your hair. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, so we're seeing an increase in people in midlife getting divorces. And I think, you know, when I see clients, a lot of that comes down to, you know, I wanted to make sure my kids were raised. I didn't want my kids to have to go through this while they were in the house with me. And so, you know, people have waited out years and years and years sometimes before making this choice. Um, and those are normally the top three. You know, they, they find their kids are out of the house. They've been unhappy in their marriage for, you know, sometimes decades. And they feel like this is their opportunity now to, 
you know, they, they, they look at their age and where they are in life and they think, oh man, like if I don't do it now, I'm just going to continue to be unhappy, you know, for the rest of my life. And so that is normally the impetus for that. You know, I was kind of curious. I wanted to know if uh, communication would be one of them. I feel like that's always like a big relationship issue that I hear about. So I was like, man, I wonder if that's like one of the top things that you hear from too. I didn't even think about infidelity for some reason. Like, Yeah. Well, but I mean, so here's the thing is that ultimately, is it because of, you know, really crappy communication throughout the years? Yes. Right. Because it takes a while oftentimes for marriage to break down. Right. So one of the earliest parts of that is difficulty in communication, difficulty with connection, having a hard time in that way. But, you know, in a lot of circumstances, if, if a couple comes in and they're having problems with communication and it's, and it's early enough in the relationship or marriage, oftentimes that is, those are skills that can be taught. They can be taught at any point. I mean, they can be taught to anyone, right? But something that can be used in, in the marriage itself. But yes, over time, once communication has broken down to a certain point, then you start to see real holes in the dam. You know, then you start to see things like, um, you know, cheating or, um, you know, or disconnection. Um, resentment starts to build. Um, and then all, you know, the, 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 I guess more materialistic, superficial factors that you hear about all the time, right? Money, sex, kids, right? Challenge relationships. Um, do I think that they are the cause of divorce? No. Um, I think that over time when couples develop issues in those areas and then have difficulty communicating around them, then it creates a disconnection that then ultimately sometimes leads to at least a separation situation. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of things that, I mean, with women particularly, especially if they are not in a financially sound position, um, they can keep themselves stuck there for a really, really, really long time because they've developed this mindset that um, stay-at-home moms, for example, they've developed this mindset that, that, that they hold no financial value, right? That they hold no value because they didn't financially contribute to their home or to their family, right? So I hear a lot of the time, like, I can't, I want to, but I can't because I, I, I'm financially dependent on this person. It works both ways. It's not always, you know, the women that are financially dependent, uh, sometimes it works the other way too, but, um, you know, it, when, when women or men are placed in the role of caregiver in the family and aren't earning an income and then, or maybe one is earning significantly less than the other, or one is working and one isn't, then when there's a, a, a potential for separation, sometimes that causes a real, um, a real blockage for people. Um, and it's, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's deep. It goes deeper than just the money, right? Then it becomes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not valuable enough or I'm not worthy enough to make these moves. I can't, I can't do it by myself. I can't do it alone. I can't be alone, you know? So that, that takes work. That takes practice. Reversing that mindset into a position of empowerment. You know, you worked for years, you worked for years as a stay-at-home mom. That was work. I know. <laughs> and I don't even stay at home with my children. And like, it's, I call it my second job because it's, it's work. And, you know, there's this mentality that like, oh, all the money is his. And I'm like, not in the divorce process. It's not, you know, not in the divorce process. It's not you, you have, you have value in this situation. You have, um, you know, you have, you have power. You're just, you know, you're not allowing yourself to see that. That's very true. And I could definitely see that mindset. I have a best friend who's a stay at home mom and she, she has that a lot. I'm like, yeah, but how much were you paying for daycare? Like, if you think you're not a financial asset, like daycare is so expensive. So expensive. Like you have to work 
like another second job just to pay for your daycare. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, these are real, I mean, these are real issues. I mean, it is daunting for, you know, a, you know, either a woman or a man to come through a divorce and then also be single parenting and have the financial, you know, have the financial, you know, like the financial responsibility around that. Um, there are definite challenges. Um, it is not easy, but what makes it extremely difficult is, is a feeling of, of hopelessness and, and a lack of, um, a lack of knowing, a lack of knowing and understanding that within all of us is this inner wisdom. Like, you know what to do, you know, you know what to do, you know, you can do it. Um, but there are so, there's so much fear. There's so much fear in the way sometimes. That's very true. Yeah. So how would you um, suggest that they communicate this big, huge change to their kids? Yeah. So I am and have always been a big advocate of a hundred percent honesty with my children. Now, 100% honesty does not mean I speak to my two-year-old the way that I would speak to you, right, about what's going on with me. Um, I, um, I'm a proponent in sitting your children down, telling them exactly what the situation is in a way that's very loving. Um, you know, your, your father and I... Um, you know, are, have decided that we are not going to be sharing a home anymore. You know, I, whatever the situation is, I'm going to be, I'm going to be living here with you. Daddy's going to be here. You will, we'll, you'll still, we're going to work it all out so that you can still see us both. We both love, you know, we love you both very, we both love you very, very much. You know, I, the emphasis on the love towards the children and keeping things loving towards the children is just really, really key in all of it. Because, you know, kids are like little sponges. And as soon as they pick up on this idea that any of this has anything to do with them or their behavior, that is set in there. And it's really, really hard to then go back and pick up the pieces and work with them afterwards. It, 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 it happens and it, and, it's, and it can be done. But I, I really try to encourage people to be as loving and as sensitive as possible with your kids. Um, make it clear to them that, like, in no way does any of this mean that their parent that they that they are not treasured and loved every day, just as much as before, and that things around them are going to change. And 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 prepare them for those changes. And then, you know, as the changes occur talk to them again. It's not just like a one sit down. This is what's happening. The end. It's okay. Now, you know, we're going to be selling our house. We're going to move into, you know, we're going to change there. Some changes are going to be happening and involve them in it as much as you can, you know, depending on their age, if you are relocating, you know, let's, let's paint your room a certain color. You know, what do you, we're going to bring, I know, I remember I told my children, um, they were, they were, my son ended up being really insecure about like, well, do I get to bring my bed? Like, do I get to bring my toy? I was like, you know, because I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking in terms of what like a four-year-old would be thinking about, right? I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm shouldering all this blame and shame around, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm uprooting my children and this is really, really hard. And, you know, my son is is expressing grief and I think that it's about one thing and it's about you know can I please like keep my yes of course son like we're, we're gonna take all of your things all of your things are coming with us um and I cannot emphasize this enough no matter what kind of animosity or anger issues or betrayal or whatever happened in the marriage before that individual is the parent of your children. And it is very, very, very important that 
you, when speaking about your ex-spouse around your children, are extremely respectful, act extremely loving, act very supportive of the relationship that your children have with your ex. And then if you need to like go vent to a girlfriend about it later and just be like, that guy's an asshole, blah, blah, blah. you know, whatever you need to do, but don't do it in front of your kids. You know, they, they need to know that it is acceptable to you for them to love their dad and for them to love their mom and that they're not going to lose either one of you in the process because they have to choose a side. I mean, I, I really feel like that is just so crucial because I unfortunately see that quite a bit. And in the, the divorce process too, when it comes to developing a co-parenting plan or figuring out visitation and things like that, um, you know, it, I, I, I just, I encourage a mindset of keeping your children, keeping your children in the forefront, keeping your focus on them when it comes to things that are about them. Um, it's really hard to not take on shame and blame around your kids having to go through this experience. And in my situation, I filed for my divorce. So I, I, I was in a place for a while where I felt like I couldn't even talk about my grief because how dare I have grief? I'm the one doing this to everyone, right? Like it's my selfish choice that brought us all here. Or, you know, things, you know, messages like that. And, um, you know, I tell people that are going through this process, like, just, just be gentle with yourself too, because your kids are humans and they are going through a grief process too. And they're going to be angry and they're going to be sad and they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to take on sometimes responsibility for or guilt around things that, that aren't theirs to own. And so being as open with them as you can, being as available to them as you can through the process is, is, is really all you can do. You know this decision has to be made. You've made the decision. And your, your kids are going to get through it. They're going to get through it a lot better if, if there's an, if it's okay for them, if they feel that it's safe for them to come to you with those feelings, you know, and I, and it's not easy, you know, it's not easy to kind of buffer yourself from some of the things that your kids might say to you. I mean, I, my kids were little, but still, I mean, and sometimes still to this day, you know, they'll say something and I feel like, um, I almost feel in a way like they're testing. They're like, they're like testing to make sure it's still safe for them to say something to me that, you know, may trigger some feelings in me, may trigger some anger in me, may hurt my feelings. Right. But I always tell them your feelings, your feelings are your feelings. And I'm just honored that you're sharing those feelings with me. And sure, it's like, you know, my daughter sometimes will say things like, I love daddy more than you. And I'll say, okay, that's okay. It's okay for you to feel like you love your dad more today. I know that you love me and I know how incredibly much I love you and how much your daddy loves you too. So, okay, have those feelings, fine. But, you know, I, I think that sometimes we're in such an emotionally vulnerable, raw place that when our kids bring stuff like that to us and we're in that space, it, it's really hard for us to either not take it on or to react to that. But the more that happens, the less they trust you. And so I just had a, a conversation with a client the other day where she was like, you know, my daughter is just like, she won't even talk to me. She's so angry. And I said, you know, have you talked to her about it? She's like, no, she won't talk to me. I said, she didn't have to talk to you, you know? All you need to tell her is, I hear that you're angry. I'm angry too. I'm not, I'm not super happy about this situation. This is not what I envisioned for you. This is not what I envisioned for me, but here we are. And our lives are going to be great. And you can have your feelings and you don't have to talk to me for however long you feel like you don't need to talk to me, but I am here available to you whenever you're ready to come and talk to me. 
because the thing is they won't express any of that to you if they don't feel safe around you. So I tell people, that's a blessing. Your kid is coming to you and they're just saying like, I'm just really angry that you did this. And I'm just really, you know, I'm just really pissed that now we have to leave our house or whatever, whatever it is, you know, um, it's a blessing because they could just be keeping that from you. You know, even though they're feeling it anyway. So they clearly trust you enough and feel safe enough around you to, to expose their feelings to you. Because the, the kids are, if not just as much, uh, very close to as vulnerable during this time as you are. I love that. I love all that so much. I'm like just sitting here like. <laughs> uh, but it's so true. Like, I had a parent who did not make, um, make it known that there was disdain, disdain for the other parent that was just very like, your dad loves you. He cares for you. You should go and see him, et cetera, et cetera. And then like my dad passed away um, to suicide when I was 18. Hmm. And then that's when a lot of things came out that I had no idea about. But my dad, on the other hand, was very like resentful. And he was like, oh, your mom is a lot of bad words. <laughs> and every time I came over there and I was really uncomfortable and I didn't want to be around him. So like from a kid that was going through like the divorce thing, it was so much easier to be around my mom because she was like, yeah, me and your dad don't like each other, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. And that doesn't mean that you get out of visitation rights. So get your ass in the car. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I mean, as your kids get older too, I mean, mine are little, so, you know, I don't, you know, there, there, there are things that they pick up on, um, in the relationship between their dad and, and myself. Um, you know, as they get older, I definitely encourage people to just, I mean, again, with the honesty, it's like, if they question you and you lie to them, like they're going to smell the bullshit. They just are right. You know, you've been there. Right. So it's like, don't feed me the bullshit. Like, just tell me like it is, but you can still do that in a way that's gentle. Right. Like your mom did. Right. Like, yeah, yeah no, your dad is not, is not my biggest fan, but that's okay. And I actually don't care about that. What I care about is that you're getting what you need. Mm -hmm. And you know, for my kids too, you know, I really make an effort, like if their dad has a new job or whatever, and they're talking about it, like, oh, that's good for your dad. Like, you guys must be so proud. Like your daddy is so smart, just like you, you know, despite <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> my own feelings around it. Right. Maybe. Um, because right now too, like they're at, they're in those formative years. I mean, they're no longer toddlers anymore. I mean, my, my son just turned eight. My daughter is five, almost six. So, they, but they, you know, as they get older too, they have more and more questions, right? Um, and so I just, I, I really do try to like, let them know that I wish they're, you know, that I wish the best for their father. And like, why wouldn't I? I mean, he's the father of my kids too. Like my kids only benefit from being around, you know, a, a well-adjusted, you know, father to them and a relationship between him and me that can at least be, can at least be civil. Um, you know, and I, again, like, I don't, I have to acknowledge, we all have to acknowledge that we don't have control over the other spouse, right? That can be really, really hard, right? You don't necessarily know what the other person is saying about you to the kids. You don't know how they're behaving around the situation with the kids, but, but you can, you can do it. And hopefully, too, even if the other spouse is angry and resentful and having problems adjusting, having problems censoring around the kids, hopefully some of that trickles over, too. Because then what happens, too, right, is the kids are like, oh, yeah, mommy said, you know, that that was great and that, you know, congratulations to you. And, you know, it's like then they hear it from the kids. And sometimes coming from the kids makes it a little more palatable than, like, if I were to get on the phone and be like, that's great, you know, is it? Because, you know, for me and my ex-husband, we don't, we don't have that kind of, we don't have a close relationship like that. So, but yeah, I mean, I just think, I think the honesty is really important. It's just a matter of, you know, keeping it age appropriate and um, you don't have to, you don't have to omit, but sometimes you just have to phrase things in a certain way that still makes it true, 
but makes it a little bit more palatable and, you know, non-triggering for your kids. It's really awesome. I love that. I really do. I like, like, I love all this conversation. I do too. This is great. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> of course, this has been awesome. So what are some tips that you would um, give some of your clients to kind of help support their mental health during this like crazy transition? Oh man, it's so important. And, um, you know, I know I'm focusing on women tonight because we're both women and, you know, I, I, most my, of my audience most, is mostly women too. So that's totally yeah. fine. And, you know, most of my clients are women. I do have some men, so I'm not, I don't want to exclude them, but, um, you know, generally speaking, you know, moms in particular, right. Can sometimes be really self-sacrificing because that is what we're taught right? We're taught that being a parent means, oh, you know, I mean, how many times do you hear this, right? It's like you have, someone has a baby and someone says, okay, well, it's not about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's about this you gotta baby. put the baby first. Right. Oh, your life is over now. I mean, people say stuff like that. And I mean, sometimes it's in a joking way, but there is this understanding. There's this social messaging for women who are moms, right? And I, you know, I love Brene Brown. She talks about this quite a bit, where she talks about, you know, the, the expectation for women is that they're going to they're gonna be a great wife, they're going to be a great mom, they're going to be on the PTA, they're going to be doing, you know, they're going to be a great worker in the workplace, and they're going to look hot while they're doing it, right? And they're going to make it look extremely effortless to, like, the naked eye, and then they're going to post all their pictures on Facebook about, like, how well they're doing with all of that, right? So my point in saying that is that we may have days like that and hurrah for those days when you just feel like like you're crushing it today like man today is a great great day everything is like lined up and it's working out perfectly but this idea of self-sacrifice around our kids is it's bullshit okay because ultimately I, I i tell people this all the time the whole you know the whole message of putting your oxygen mask on first like you and we hear this message too, right? It's like we hear these conflicting messages, like do all of these things and be all of these things, but you know, you can't love anyone unless you love yourself first. It's like, wait, how do I, but how, how do I do these things? So, you know, um, myself with the PTA and my career and my kids and lunch, right, don't forget right, about homework. Right, right, right. So don't, so don't, you know, um, I mean, Sleep hygiene, for example, especially with like with moms of young children. Oh my God. Like you can't, I mean, you can't handle anything emotional without really good sleep. You can't. So I, I try to talk to my clients about ways that they can make sleep a priority, make nutrition a priority. Like we get, oh my God, like when we're stressed out, like when I'm stressed out, I mean, I just, you know, want to eat a gallon of ice cream and that's what I want to do. But, you know, I mean, some people, I guess, are blessed with this sort of, you know, grief and stress that makes them starve themselves and they just forget to eat. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I have like no connection <laughs> to what that must be like. Um, but shit, man, like if like the stressful events in my life had made me cause, or had caused me to lose 20 pounds, that would have been okay with me. I'm just saying, but you know, like, like eating well, sleeping well, and letting yourself know that those things are okay. How can you facilitate those things? So we start really small. Self-care is a part of every session with me and my clients. It's a part of it, like pretty much everything I talk about because you have to replenish, right? And, and once you start acting in physical ways to show love to yourself, then it just reinforces the inner work that you're trying to do too, right? So like, you know, things like taking a bubble bath. I am a big, I am a big proponent of meditation. Um, I sometimes run into roadblocks with clients who are experiencing that for the first time. Um, you don't have to be a spiritual guru or leader, or you don't have to like sit there and meditate for like, you know, two hours perfectly and feel transcendent. Like it's, it's not, when, when I talk to people about meditation, I am simply talking about just the, just like the bare bones of it, 
And if you want to build that muscle, great, build that muscle. But I'm talking about just like sitting for 10 minutes in silence and just focusing on your breathing. Because, and, 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 and it is like working the muscle, you know? So like after 10 minutes of doing that for a week, and you may just, you honestly may just be sitting there like, oh, I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the thing. I gotta, I gotta go do my laundry now. Oh my gosh, did I remember to pick up so-and-so? And it's totally fine. Like, you know, I, I, I think people sometimes think that when you're first learning to meditate or even like when you've been an experience, you know, like even when you've been meditating for years, like I have, that there's this whole idea of like, I can't think about it. Like I'm doing it wrong. Like I'm distracted by my thoughts because the thoughts come and go. But the idea is this, that you're taking some time every day to just sit in quiet and breathe. And sometimes that brings up feelings. Sometimes that brings up tears. Sometimes that brings up a reflection on what's actually going on with you. But when you are just go, 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 go all the time, and some of us, myself included, like I go into over-functioning mode when there's like something that I really, that's really bothering me that I don't want to look at, right? It's really easy to keep myself distracted. But guess what? It doesn't go anywhere, right? So when you sit with yourself for at least once each day, it, it reminds you. It reminds you of what's going on in there. You know, and some of that stuff comes out and, and you can see things a little bit more clearly over time as you do it more and more and more. So, you know, meditation, exercise, you know, anything to, to physically help you work out the stress that you're experiencing through the divorce process. I mean, you know, I'm not saying you have to go to the gym and work out for an hour and, you know, figure out what you're going to do with your kids in the meantime. I'm just saying that like, you know, do 10 minutes of stretching, do some yoga. Like, you know, if you, you know, if you're in a situation where someone's watching your kids or you don't have children, like just, just go for a quick jog and just jog it. I cannot tell you, I am not a runner. Okay. In my, in my younger years, I would jog occasionally. I am not a runner, but during the months that I was going through my divorce, I was like, I would feel this physical need to just like leave my house. And I couldn't exactly just scream all of that feeling out in the middle of my house without everybody thinking I was crazy or scaring my children or whatever. But I could put on my headphones and go run it out. I mean, you know, like I'm, not, I'm no runner. So, you know, it would take me like maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> but, but it was really cathartic to just physically release those feelings. Um, it's just, you know, an energetic way of doing that. So, um, you know, and man, like laughter, like, I feel like we forget about laughter all the damn time. And like, I, like, it feels so good to laugh when you're like, you're just having like a really miserable day, right? Like somebody says something funny to you and just like the release of laughing is so fantastic. And so, you know, sometimes it was just a matter of me putting on like something funny at the end of the night before I went to bed and just laughing. Um, you know, I, I even, you know, ended up getting hooked on um, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. And I, was I just finished divorce. that. Oh my God. Oh my God. So, I mean, you know, in the beginning I was really resistant to it. Cause I was like, Oh God, like, I don't want to watch somebody going through my experience right now. Like I, I, I do this every day, but like, there were so many things in it that I found not only like resonated for me and some things that I couldn't relate to at all, but you know, some things that resonated with me and other things that I was like, Oh, that's just funny. You know, <laughs> I even found myself going back and like watching old sex in the cities just because I found them so like, so amusing or just put something mindless on or something that you know is going to tickle you. I, it just, it is so, it's so healing and, and we forget about it all the time. So laughter is a big thing. It I happens. always have like a few shows that I do that with like the office and Gilmore girls. If oh I'm my God. Yes. Going through a stressful time. I'm like, just pop that shit on. You're good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've really made it a, a practice to like not watch anything heavy before I go to bed at night. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I even do that, like, when I wake up in the morning now, too. Like, I used to just get in my car, and I love NPR, but I used to turn it on right away, and now I'm just like, you know what? I want to start my day off with positivity, 
you know, so like I'll listen to a podcast or, you know, a song that gets me going or, you know, whatever, and, and do that, do that instead. But, you know, it's, it's the self-care piece. It's just a matter of knowing what works for you, finding what works for you, and then sticking to it consistently. And you can change it up, but it's just like, do something, do at least like one nice thing for you a day. And I think people get this confused with like, oh, I'm going to go buy shoes today. And that's my self-care. It's like, no, I mean, sure. Go buy the shoes, you know, if you want that, but then do the self-care because it's not the same thing. Um, but yeah, really, really important piece. And, you know, a, a lot of the time, again, I think, you know, we fall so much into expectations of other people and what I think we feel that other people expect from us. Um, like I have like three questions that I, that I ask clients routinely when we fall into some kind of hole together, <laughs> you know, who cares, who cares, right? Is one. So what? So what is another one, right? And then my favorite says who? Right. Okay. Right. Like I was listening to this thing about this lady getting super upset about how like she, I guess she had to eat dinner at eight o'clock and you're not supposed to eat after seven. And I literally just looked at her. I'm like, who told you that? Right. Like if we couldn't eat after seven, all the people that work the night shift wouldn't be able to fit through the door, man. Like that's not the way it works. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you know, it's, these are the reason I ask these questions a lot is because they're so, they, it just, it highlights for us how we limit ourselves, right? Like it's I can't. Crazy article on the internet half the time too. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, these, I mean, even like just fundamental, like personal issues, right? Like, like I can't, I, I can't, I can't get a new job, right? Says who, hmm. right? Says you, you say you can't get a new job. So let's talk about that. Nobody's telling you if they are telling you like, you're allowing that message to just reinforce a message that you already have. Otherwise you'd just be like, uh, hell yes, I can. Like, what are you talking about? Right. I had my and last boss tell me I couldn't get a new job and I was like, watch me. I was right, gone. Exactly. Says who? Says one person, right? Says one person. And it wouldn't have, right. It wouldn't carry any weight for you if you didn't have a part of you that is also giving yourself the same message, right? Yeah. Oh my God. What if I can't like, oh my God, I can't. I can't. And I'll be and honest, I think it affects me because I've always been that person that like, oh, you're pissing me off. I'm going to get a new job. And they're like, what? You can't do that. And I'm like, uh, watch my ass. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and I mean, you know, like the who cares, right? Like I, you know, I'm going to blah, 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 but I, I can't, you know, who cares? Yeah. Like I, it has been a real big one for me in my life is, um, is this idea of what other people think what other people think of me and like why that's so important to me. Right. So who cares? You're the one who cares. You care, you care about what the people around you think. So what is that about? Right. And if I do this, you know, the, so what is just pretty much around the, like, if I do this, you know, if I do this, I'm going to fail. Like, what if I fail? Well, so what? So what? Yeah. You get back right? up, you keep going, you figure it right. out. You know, not to do that again. <laughs> right. I mean, this is how, right. This is how we learn in life, right? This is like how we build resilience. This is, you can't, if you're going to live a life with no risk, I guess, then you don't have the option of failure. Right. But if you live a life with no risk, then what are you hoping really to gain? Boring. Yeah, what are you hoping to gain? Mm -hmm. So. All right. We are actually out of time. And I'm like kind of sad because I had a couple more questions. So I'm just going to have to make you come back on the next time we're doing interviews because we're out of time and there's so much information that I still want to like pick your brain about. I feel like this awesome. is so valuable too because like I'm an anxiety coach and one of the biggest things that I feel like people have anxiety about is their relationships and having you come on here, I'm sure it's like easing so much for so many people. So I really appreciate you coming on here. Oh, I hope so. No, I really hope so. And thank you so much for having me. This has been great. I'm so excited. So the best place that you're going to want to get a hold of Kelly, guys, is going to be her Facebook. And I'm going to have it in the uh, show notes. And I'm going to have her website as well. Now, if they wanted to work with you, what are the ways that they can work with you? 
So currently I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. I have a variety of packages just kind of based on, based on your needs. Um, I'm also about to start a group, uh, a group coaching, uh, yeah, some group coaching sessions as well. Um, I'm currently also running a, a Christmas webinar talking about, um, it's called the Christmas present. It's about staying present over the holidays and not being fixated on our past and not being, you know, bogged down with worry about the future. But, you know, that way you can be present with your family and enjoy the holidays this year. We've, a lot of us have had a lot going on um, in the 2020. So um, that is um, a $50 webinar. So it's not very expensive. It also comes with a lot of teaching tools um, as well. Um, and I am in the process of starting a free Facebook group as well. Um, I have a local one here for, for my peeps in San Antonio, but yes, I look forward to expanding. It's going to be fun, guys. Yes. All right. Well, I appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. Bye, Thank everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For more bomb-ass content, follow me on Instagram at First Steps to Sanity or leave me a review and let me know what your favorite part was. I can't wait to see you guys next week. Bye!